we're going to start a series this week. It's going to go for about five weeks, depending what happens, on sharing our faith. It's not something we've often talked about or um, explored as a church, but we're going to do so for the next five weeks. I'm going to do the next couple of weeks, and then Peter's going to do a couple of weeks, and then I'm going to wrap it all up in about five weeks' time. And this week, we're going to look uh, generally at, uh, firstly, um, some of the challenges and how Jesus did it. Next week, we're going to look at how the early church did it. After that, it will probably be more practical and we might even be workshoppy. So be prepared to do some different stuff when you come on a Sunday morning when Peter gets up. Not that that will surprise you. Um, but I'm going to start just by sharing some, some personal thoughts. I don't often talk very much about myself, but this is something of, uh, of my journey with regard to evangelism and sharing faith. And just, to, just as an aside, the, the title of the series is Those Who Know Must Tell. That's, if you saw my Facebook comment this morning, that's why I put it there. That's the name of the series. Most of us, sharing our faith is a daunting prospect. We know that sharing our faith may cause others to disagree with us, to argue with us, or even reject us. And most of us find such rejection quite difficult. But it doesn't necessarily have to be that way. We all have something that we can share. And that something is our personal journey. See, this is subjective truth. And you can't argue with subjective truth because it's the truth as I've experienced it. It's the story of my relationship with God and of my knowledge of God. It doesn't require extensive argument and rationale concerning life, the universe and everything in it. The answer to which, of course, is 42 anyway. (laughs) Rather, it's the simple story of how God has interacted with us, with me. We'll come back to the notion of our story later in a later session. But first, I just want to give some of my own experience and then talk about how Jesus made known the good news. I came to faith before the age of 10. And from that point on, God was the most important thing in my life. And I just wanted to share it with people. I used to share it with my friends. Um, I usually, at that stage, had one close friend at any time, and it would never be long before I'd talk to them about God, church, heaven, and everything, just as I understood it in those early young days. Some of them accepted what I told them. Some of them rejected it. Some of them even rejected me as a result, which is never easy when you're a child. But God always gave me opportunities to share Not because I had a great testimony. I couldn't testify to having been a great sinner and come to faith. All I could testify was that I knew Jesus. And God was important in my life. At school, I stuck my head above the parapet. I started the Christian union in my school. And everyone knew I was a Christian. I didn't preach. But if they asked about my faith, I would always tell them. I'd always be willing to share Then in my late teens, the church I was with decided to commence a program of door knocking. We had a survey, we went around knocking on all the doors in our estate, and uh, we talked to them, people, on the doorstep. I was a team of about six who, who volunteered to do it. And I can honestly say, I hated every minute. 
Occasionally we'd have a good conversation. Sometimes we'd get outright rejection. But generally little fruit came from it. And I came to the conclusion that I was not comfortable doing anything to someone else, i.e. trying to sell Christ on the doorstep, that I would not like done to me. So I decided I would never again do door knocking. Some people might be good at it, some people might be skilled. I just don't think it's an appropriate way to share what is the most important thing in our lives. A few years later, I got involved in street evangelism. And this would normally revolve around one person with a sketch board, painting things on a board and sharing a simple gospel message, and the rest of us forming a crowd around him. And then talking to any people who happened to join the crowd at the end of the presentation. Or it might be a bit of street theatre, followed by a short preach. Once more, I found neither of these things to be very effective. They're, they're quite fun to do, but they're not very effective. I saw very few people come to faith as a result of those things. They helped us think we were doing something. But in terms of bringing people to faith, they yielded no or little fruit. And I'm sure that there are evangelists out there who are very effective on the streets. But I can honestly say, I'm not one of them. Later on, when I was leading youth ministry, we had a group of about 30 young people whom we trained up to reach their own. We would set up a a stage, a band would play, some drama would be performed, a short preach would be given. And then we would send the young people in amongst the crowd to talk about what had been presented. And this is the only piece of street evangelism where I've ever been involved in that I've seen much fruit out of. We did see young people coming to faith. But it wasn't because of a preach, it was because people, young people were prepared to share their lives with those who were there. And it actually generated one of the best God incidents I've ever had in my life. We took the, took the whole group on tour around East Anglia and we were up in Cromer. Everyone been, anyone been to Cromer? At the seafront in Cromer, there's a big wall. And just before we got there, two or three weeks beforehand, status quo had been playing there. So that, that was the backdrop of where we were. And uh, those of you who know who status quo are are obviously older than me or as old. Um, so we, we set up, we put our stage up, the band played, they did some drama, and somebody else was responsible for doing the preach. And, and so just... Because it was the first one, I thought, I, won't, I'm, I wasn't directly involved. So I went, went round the back, and I went up a slope, and I was leaning up against some railings, watching everything that was going on. And as I stood there, I thought, oh, this is good. I'm not doing anything, not having to take responsibility tonight. And suddenly this guy sidled up to me, and he said, are you with this lot? I said, yeah, yeah, I'm with this lot. So how did you become a Christian then? And then I led him to faith there and then. And that was one of the most wonderful moments, because I didn't generate it. It was just God's Holy Spirit had gone before me. But generally, it's hard work doing that kind of stuff on the streets. And I'm not saying it, it can't be done and it's not, it's not effective. But I believe there is a more effective way, which is about the power of your life and your testimony and the truth of what God has done for you. I've come to the conclusion that the most effective form of outreach, at least for me, is where I started building friendships, and sharing my experience of God with people. I believe perhaps the the days of tent crusades 
and even of many forms of street evangelism are largely over. In this day, people are looking for authenticity. A life that doesn't, doesn't just talk the talk, but that walks the walk. We are the message. It's not just what we say, but how we live. Our beliefs, our values, our behaviours. Those are the things that will communicate the most powerfully to people. And our courses, the courses that we run and why we're committed to running discovery course and so on, these are the things that will enable people to make a reasoned response to what is the most important decision of their life. Because at the end of the day, when we're out there, we're not just asking people to make a transaction that, that that's it. Right, I've prayed a prayer, I'm in. We're actually asking people to make a life-changing decision. And if we sell it any less, then we're selling people short. Because this is a decision that should change everything about them. Their beliefs, their values, their behaviours, their way of living. Everything needs to change from that moment. And you can't sell that in five minutes on a doorstep. It's not transactions we want. It's change. And therefore that comes out of relationship and building up. And when we come to the early church, we'll say, see how they did it. But I just want to see, turn now and see how Jesus did it. And we're going to turn to John in chapter 4. Let's read that whole passage. See, Jesus didn't rush with four points and a quick prayer. He took time to relate and connect and get into relationship with this woman at the well. Verse 3. He left Judea and went away again into Galilee. And he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a city of Samaria called Sychar, near the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. And Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, being wearied from his journey, was sitting thus by the well. And it was about the sixth hour. Then there came a woman of Samaria to me to, to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Therefore the Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you being a Jew ask me for a drink? Since I'm a Samaritan woman. For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. And Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. She said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where then do you get that living water? You're not greater than our father Jacob, are you, who gave us the well and drank of it himself and his sons and his cattle? And Jesus answered and said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him shall never thirst. But the water that I will give him will become a well in him a well of water springing up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty, nor come all the way here to draw. He said to her, Go call your husband and come here. And the woman answered and said, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, you've correctly said, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one whom you are now have is not your husband. This you have said truly. The woman said to him, sir, I perceive you are a prophet. 
Our fathers worshipped in this mountain, and your pe- you people say that in Jerusalem is the place where, where men ought to worship. And Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, an hour is, is coming when neither in this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But now is coming, and now is, when true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For such people the Father seeks to be his worshippers. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ, and when when that one comes, he will declare all things to us. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. We could look at this passage in many different ways. I could teach on the symbolism of it. I could teach on it from a cultural point of view. But all I want to focus on is the dynamics of what was going on in terms of that conversation that went on between Jesus and the woman. Let's start at verse 3. It says, Jesus had to go through Samaria. Well, the truth is, he didn't have to go through Samaria. In fact, a Jew would not normally pass through Samaria, and particularly a Jewish rabbi, they would have taken the long way round and up the royal highway and back in to go to Galilee. Why did Jesus have to go to Samaria? Because God had an appointment for him. God had somebody that was, he was already working on, that he wanted to bring to faith. And Jesus had to go through Samaria because the Holy Spirit prompted him. In our dealings with people, how much are we listening to what the Holy Spirit would say? Perhaps it's just to go a different way home one night because the Holy Spirit says there's a person that you want to meet. Perhaps there's a situation that you're going to come across in the supermarket or at work where the Holy Spirit is setting you up just to say, Here's the opportunity. You've got something to share. Share it. Jesus didn't go that way because it was the easiest way to go or the natural way to go. He went that way because the Holy Spirit prompted him to go that way. Are we listening to the Holy Spirit? All of us who have come to God can recognize the prompting of the Spirit within us. The key is listening and responding. Last year, Carolyn and I, just about a year ago, we were in London. We went for a week, weekend, well, it was a couple of days away. I think it was a Thursday, Friday. Went to learn how to cook, actually, from a, from a London chef. But on the night before our, our lesson, we went into a restaurant near Covent Garden. Packed restaurant, busy, vibrant, beautiful food. And as we were halfway through the meal, a man came and sat down on the table next to us. And I say next to us, the tables were about that far apart. And um, he had just come from um, some party thing that he'd been at. And it turns out he was a Chelsea estate agent, used to selling multi-million pound properties in London. Let's just say he was well healed. And as we got chatting, he began to ask us what we did. And we asked the same of him, of course. And when we told him of our involvement in the church and the community, he was fascinated. He kept apologizing for interrupting our romantic evening, but spent the next two hours asking us all about our faith and all about what we did in the community and the kind of church it was. And he had some vague Catholic background that 
that had shaped his understanding of church. And we were suddenly blowing his mind with something completely different because of all the good stuff we do in terms of the community. And he drunk us some very, uh, get, bought us some very nice wine to drink as we were doing it as well, which all added to the whole evening. But we spent two hours with him just sharing. And we know we didn't lead him to faith. But he went away changed and challenged and bought with a new perspective on what church is and who God is. Who knows what will happen when we follow the promptings of the Spirit and just be open to what he would do. And Jesus in this passage actually connects with her on a topic of mutual interest. She has come to get water. He needs a drink of water. It's an opportunity. There is a mutual topic of mutual interest and most of our conversations with people will begin with a point of natural connection the clever bit is realizing when it is a god moment and taking the opportunity to share our faith next in verse 10 to 14 having connected with her jesus develops the connection in a new direction He suddenly starts talking about this thing, living water, and she doesn't quite get it at first. She's not really knowing where he's going. He's just provoking her curiosity. Well, I come to the well every day to draw water, and if you give me living water that I I don't have to come out here to draw, wouldn't that be better? I can have it in my home, and it'll just... She's not really getting it. She's not really getting where she's coming from. But Jesus is just intriguing her and causing a stirring within her. But she rolls with it to see where it will go. And as we share our lives with people and the good things God has done for us, potentially we're offering them something that can make a difference to their daily lives, just as Jesus was offering to this woman. Whether it's forgiveness, freedom from guilt, healing, peace, security, hope. All of these things are things that we have and can have. They're all part of the package of trust in Jesus Christ. You and I have the words of eternal life. We have this treasure in earthen vessels. And when people perceive this, perhaps they'll be interested to know what we've got and where we got it from. In the 1980s, a man called Alvin Toffler wrote a book called The Third Wave. And in it he said, people are looking for life organizers. Our lives are chaotic in the world. Our lives are fragmented. Our lives lack peace and security. And what they're looking for is somebody to help organize and shape and bring that peace and security. Well, folks, you are the ones. We are able to do that because we have the words of eternal life. We have the truth. And as we perceive it, we may not be perfect. You don't have to be perfect to share your faith. But as you can share what you've got and what God's done for you, so it can connect and help people draw, draw people to a place of strength for themselves. Next, Jesus touches a sore spot. He makes it personal. He touches issues in our life. And it gets her attention. Because by the prompting of the Holy Spirit, he gives her a word of knowledge. And suddenly the door is opened wide. 
And when we talk to people in in the daily interactions of life, we need to be looking for an opportunity to share the goodness of God with them. And who knows, God may drop something into our mind, into our heart, that will just be the word that opens them up. It needn't be strained. It needn't be manufactured. It can simply be a matter of responding to the Holy Spirit. We don't have to go out with, with in our mind, right, I must share them. Jesus came. Uh, uh, I'm a sinner. Uh, 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 he died on the cross to save me from sin. Uh, uh, we don't have to go out in a strained manner like that. We just have to share the truth of what Jesus has done for us. And then point them towards him. And so Jesus touches a sore spot. He opens her up through a word of knowledge. And what's her response? Verse 19 onwards. When the woman perceives he's a prophet and the conversation has moved to a spiritual level, suddenly she gets what he's talking about, that he's not just offering her water that she can, doesn't have to come here and draw, but she's off, he's offering her something more, which is spiritual life. Suddenly she grasps it. So what does she do? I perceive you're a prophet. Uh, there's an issue. There's an issue. I remember now. There's an issue between you and us. There's an issue between Jews and Samaritans. Then there's an issue that we're all aware of, that, that we worship here on this mountain, but you worship in Jerusalem. Do you think a woman of dubious reputation, who doesn't come out in the morning because she doesn't want to mix with the other women, she comes at midday, which is when this is going on, the first the thing in the front of her mind that is bothering her is a theological issue between the Samaritans and the, and the Jews. <laughs> it's a smokescreen. It's a religious answer because suddenly she realizes that Jesus is talking to her about faith. What's the first thing people ask us when they realize we're talking about faith? But there's, there's, I'm not religious is one answer. But the, the, the first question is, huh? yeah, there's that. But the question I get asked more than any other is, okay, so if there's a God of love, why is there all this suffering in the world? Have you heard that? Yeah, all religions are responsible for all the suffering in the world. That's an alternative one. It's a smokescreen. Most people aren't actually that bothered by the answer to that question. But if they can raise it, they can cause you to back off. And they can say, I don't really want to talk about faith, because that's what they're actually saying in here. I don't want to talk about anything personal. Religion is all bad. It's easily said. It's a smokescreen. How did Jesus handle it? Her smokescreen. He brought it back to her. It's all about your worship of God. Those who worship will worship in spirit and truth. Don't matter whether it's here or there. We can deal with these questions. We can answer questions. But most people don't actually want a satisfactory answer. But what will touch them is bringing it back to the personal. Not about the suffering of the world. But how about you and your response to God? Now, I would encourage you to do some homework about those questions. By, for example, Steve Legg's book, Big Questions, which, aren't, which deals with all these big smokescreen questions. Think about it. Go and do some research. Go and look at ethics and go and look at... Um, uh, apologetics and all these kind of things. But actually, the most powerful thing we can do is bring it back to the personal. What about you? How about your life? 
Don't worry about the suffering of the world. God can take care of that. How is your situation and your response to God? We don't bat them away, but we can bring it back to a place of reality. Paul said to Timothy in 2 Timothy 4.2, Preach the word, be ready in season and out of season. And the onus on us is just to be ready to take the opportunity to speak, to share, and to share out of our lives. And by doing the prep, we can be ready to answer the difficult questions, but we can bring it back to what really matters, which is my response to God. And then finally, Jesus brings her to a commitment. He reveals to her the truth of, and her life is changed as a result. I who speak to you am he. He is her solution. She's already acknowledged that she needs a saviour. He says, I'm your saviour. And we can do the same. We're not the solution, but Jesus is. Jesus is the one who can make a difference. Jesus is the one who can change lives. Jesus is the one who can bring us through to faith and wholeness. He doesn't go out with a few proof, proof texts and a ready-made sermon pointing out the four points to bring her to commitment. Rather, he starts from where she is and he takes her on a journey. It's not strained or defensive. This is a simple interaction between two people. It begins with Jesus having a need, a need for water that only the woman can fulfill. It ends with the woman realizing that she has the need that only Jesus can fulfill. And if we live authentically looking for opportunities, we listen to the Spirit, we avoid unnecessary confrontation and seek to impart life, who knows whom God may touch through us. And if we don't feel that we can lead them through to faith ourselves, We can always invite them to the discovery course. This week, look for God moments. Because I I seriously challenge you. If you pray for God to give you God moments and moments of opportunity, one thing's for sure. He will. Amen. Let's pray. Father, I ask for each one of us that you'll give us God moments this week. You'll give us those opportunities to share of our faith, of our life. And that, Lord God, we might be a source of life and of light to those that you bring us into contact with day by day. That, Lord, through this, us, your people here, you might bring many to faith in this town, in this area, in this region. Not because we're special, but simply because we know you. May we be beggars who can tell other beggars where to get bread. And let us, Lord God, work by your spirit in all of these things. In Jesus' name, amen.